welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, I've been preaching on forgiveness. I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna jump back into that. I don't have as much time as usual, but that's all right. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. Let's not put it on the screen just yet, but I just want you to get ready. Just, just turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be reading from verses 4 through 6, and just put your finger there. Um, because we're continuing on this idea of forgiveness. I felt like the Lord uh, a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, really spoke to me that he wanted to heal hearts. And uh, he wanted to give us our minds back, our will back, and our emotions back. He wanted to heal us. And, and so one of the great ways of woundedness is through unforgiveness. Technically, unforgiveness, as we learned last week, isn't even a word. Unforgiveness ain't a word. It ain't, and I ain't going to say it. Um, so uh, it, it's really bitterness. That's, that's what we're talking about. Bitterness in the heart of a believer. Bitterness in the heart of people who claim to have received the grace of God. And so, man, uh, there's no place for bitterness in our lives. And so I believe God is wanting to heal us of that, deliver us from that, that we could start releasing others. I started off by preaching about forgiving ourselves, and that kind of took a couple of weeks because it's a process. And so many are still working through that process. Then last week I talked about forgiving those who have hurt us intentionally, forgiving those who are closest to us. And today, uh, this week and next week, I, I want to focus on not just the solution of forgiveness, I want to focus on the problem that bitterness or unforgiveness really starts with an offense. So I want, to, I want to diagnose the sort of anatomy of an offense. Because if you're here in this room, um, you have been or you currently are offended. I, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm too spiritual for that. Okay, so just a show of hands. How many of you have been or currently are offended? Any, anybody? Any, all right. Okay, so awesome. So look around. That's just about everybody. There's a couple liars in the, in the room. It's all right. The next sermon series is going to be all about it, repenting for lying and, and, and honesty, right? That's what the next sermon series is going to be. Um, now, if you're like, like, I know this to be true because Jesus said, uh, Jesus said in Luke, I don't have it on the screen, but I think it's Luke 17. Jesus said, it is, it is, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. You will be, I have been, we will be, if, you're, if you haven't been offended yet, it's, you know, just, just hang on a few minutes, just wait till after service, go talk to somebody, um, and you will be, because offense is nothing more than a, a hurt, it's a wound, and as long as we're living around humans, and actually as long as we are human, we are uh, capable of being hurt. Both from things that are, that, that are truly, so, 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 so basically when I, when I ask you to raise your hand, this is just another survey. I know if you're online, you can't participate in this survey, but if you're, if you're here in the room, when you raise your hand, when I said, have you been or are you currently are offended, and, and, and most of you raised your hand, uh, let, let me know, let's just do another survey. Let me know, raise your hand if when I said that, if you thought of a person or of a situation where somebody, an individual offended you. Raise your hand if, if when I said that you thought of somebody. Okay, all right. Most of us. Um, those of you that didn't think of somebody, what were you thinking about? Yourself. You offended by yourself? Okay, so you are a somebody. 
You're, you're okay. So it, it, just no one. You just figured. Well, Pastor Harry said I'm offended, so I probably was at one point. Okay, you good, good obedient crowd. All right, this fifty years worth of uh, several faces and names and. Okay, cool. So, so lovely. So we're going to deal with that next week. We're going to deal with that offense next week. That's the obvious offense. It's the offense against my brother. It's the offense against my sister. It's the, it's the offense against somebody that I know that has a name, that has a face, that is in my life. And it might even be myself. It might be the person in the mirror, right? So, so we're going to deal with that next week. And that's the more obvious one. But today I want to deal with the, the less obvious offense that I, I believe we all have. And that is the offense against God. So, so next week we're going to talk about how do you get past being offended at people, right? How, how do you get past that? How, how, how do you get through that? How do you work through that? But today I want to talk to you about how do you get past being offended at God? First off, the, the first step to get, getting past being offended at God is recognizing that you have been offended at God. And I believe that I can, as, as truly as I can say that you have been offended at a human, I can believe that if you have been walking with God for more than five minutes, you have in fact been offended by God. I mean, one of God's titles, one of Jesus' titles is the rock of offense. If you've never been offended by him, you probably haven't met him. And that's fine, maybe you haven't met him. And, and, and you're, you're, you're just coming to explore and check that out and see what Jesus is all about. Well, let me tell you, one thing he will do is he will offend you. Just as from personal experience, he is the rock of offense. What does that mean, rock of offense? It means a stumbling block, a, a rock that trips you up. Uh, someone once said that the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. But then, I don't know, it was in a movie. They said, but it'll make you mad first. Remember that? The truth will set you free, but it'll make you mad first. It'll offend you. And so Jesus is the rock of offense. A rock of offense, it, that's, I don't know if you've ever been out walking in flip-flops and you stub your toe on a massive rock. That's Jesus. That's Yeshua. Like, that's him. He's the, the stumbling stone. He's the rock of offense. He's that thing that, that bruises your toe. And so if you've never been offended by him, it's okay, you haven't met him yet. But as soon as you stumble across him, and as soon as you try to walk with him, you try walking with and building a relationship with somebody who is called the rock of offense, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to be offended by him, for you to be hurt by him, for you to be even tripped up. And I know he does this, Job, Job said in, in, in Job 5, 18, he said he, he, he wounds and he also binds up, meaning he wounds and he also heals. So if you've never been wounded by God, it's because you haven't been walking with him very long. It's okay. <laughs> Just keep walking. He will step on your toes in fact, you will probably stub your toe over him and his thinking and his ways. He will not do things the way you expected him to do. He will not be on your timeline. He will be late. He will hit the snooze button on your alarming situation. He will vacate the premise when you think you need him the most. He, he will say things that seem insensitive to you and hurtful to your sensibilities he will diminish and and, and he will he, he will think in ways that are so contrary to your thinking 
that he will offend you. And so, and so, I, so I realized as we're talking about forgiveness, that the, at the root of forgiving someone is, is, is coming before the cross and coming before the Lord and laying those offenses at his feet. But what do you do if the one that you're laying offenses at his feet, you also feel somewhat kind of a certain sort of way toward? And, 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 and I know like in church, a lot of people don't, don't think that they could possibly be offended. Oh, I love Jesus too much. I could never be offended at him. I just love him. I just love him so much. I could never be hurt by him. <laughs> Denial is not just a river in Egypt. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. It is, it is not just a river. We get the church is full <laughs> of denial. So basically, I don't have a lot of time today, but I want to share with you two stories, one of which is found in Matthew and another which is found in the Gospel of Harry, uh, the history of Harry. Um, I, uh, I, I graduated Bible college in 2004, and I went to work for a ministry called God Chasers Ministry. It's the ministry of Tommy Tenney. I was Tommy's personal assistant, and we were traveling all around the world. It was a busy, high-energy, high-output, high-anxiety um, job, and it was difficult. And it's interesting, just, just a quick backstory, I don't have enough time to get into it all, but, but I didn't want to take the job, okay? This is something that God specifically told me to take. And I know some of I know Christians are like, oh yeah, God told me to take the job. And I asked them about how he told them. And they're like, well, I prayed about it and I felt peace. And I'm like, okay, that's not, like that, I don't know where somebody found that in the Bible one time, where it's like, if you want to know God's will, pray about it and check your feelings. <laughs> Bro, like your feelings are here and there and they're mixed in with more money and a better salary and more time off and I had dental insurance and suddenly you feel the Holy Spirit. And, I, like, I'm, not, and I'm not like, like if you're, that's how you make decisions, I would, I would welcome you to actually hear from the Holy Spirit. I mean, actually, God talks to us like, like I'm talking to you. You understand me. I'm talking English. Right? You may not feel good about what I'm saying, but you understand what I'm saying. This is the way the Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us, okay? And it, you don't have to be a pastor to hear God like that, all right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, not sense a positive vibe about what, what they should do, right? So if you're trying to make big decisions, I mean, where to move, what job to take, who to marry, don't go off of the vibe. Wait till you get a word, all right? A word's way better than a feeling. I mean, an actual, like, and not, not necessarily audible, but actual thought in your mind that's not your thought. It's not you. It's, not you. it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So yes, I speak to ghosts. <laughs> I know a ghost, you know what I'm saying? And I, I'm not talking to myself. I'm, I'm not, and so I'm hearing God. And he kept me up one night saying, look, I'm going, I was volunteering for Tommy. I was an intern and God said, I'm going to offer you, I'm going to have somebody offer you a job. You're not going to want to take it, but I want you to take it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I was afraid. Here's what I was afraid. I was afraid he was going to make me be in youth ministry. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> Because I was volunteering with a youth group, and the youth group was growing. We, had, we started off with two girls. We now had eight girls. And uh, I was afraid that I was going to be surrounded by 13, 14, 15-year-old girls for the rest of my life. You know? And I was like, no, no, Lord, please. Uh, and so I was like, oh, man. So I'm wrestling with this decision. 
And finally, I said, okay, fine. Like, where else am I going to go? I mean, really, what am I going to do? Like, like, like the disciples, Jesus said, are you going to leave me also? And they're like, well, where else are we going to go? I'm going to end up back here again in five years, 10 years, 15 years after I've messed my life up. I might as well be obedient to you now, right? And so I said, fine, but I got to know it's you. I have to know that this job is the job, because I'm not going to want to take it, obviously. I need to know. And so I laid out a couple stipulations. One, the salary had to be this exact number this annual number. No more, no less. Like this number, it had to be this number. And he said, okay. I just kind of, I was 25 and I was, or 24 and I was just thinking, okay, well, how much do I need to survive? And I didn't really know. And so I just kind of picked a number that I thought sounded sort of like, okay, I think I can make, I can pay back Sally Mae with that number. You know what I'm saying? And so he's like, okay, fine. And I said, and, and this is the kicker, and somebody that I don't know and doesn't know me and doesn't know the job situation needs to come up to me and tell me to take this job. And he said, fine. And I said, great. Because there's no way that that's just normal. That's not, uh, like, there's no chance involved. And so I was like, yeah, so I think I'm out of this tough job that I don't want to take. So two weeks later, Tommy calls me in his office and he offers me the job of personal assistant, which I did not want to take. There's no way. And he said, well, okay. And I, and I said, well, what, what, what would the salary be? And he told me, and it was the exact number that I had prayed about. And I said, huh, that's, that's interesting. He said, how would you go home and pray about it? And I said, okay, I'll go home and pray about it. So I called my parents. I'm like, if you guys could pray with me. And that night I had a going away party at, at, at my youth group. And the youth, the church, they, they had a little pool party. And there was a bunch of people there that I didn't know from the church. I never went to the church. I was just the youth pastor on Wednesday nights, right? And so I was just an interim guy. And a bunch of parents, I think. And so the, we had a good pool party. I said goodbye to everybody. I'm going, walking out to my car. And this guy comes running from the party. I think it's one of the dads. And he said, hey. He said, Harry, I, I don't know why. I just felt like God told me to tell you that if you're offered a job, you should take it. And I said, well, what? And uh, he said, you know, I, I feel like if, you, if you're offered a job, you should take it. And so I'm thinking Tommy's like talking to people and telling them, you know. So I said, well, like what kind of job? Like what, what, what do you mean? He's like, I have no idea. I just felt like that's what God said to say. I said, Pfft. Okay, so I get in the car, I call my mom and dad, and I'm like, I think we can stop praying now because um, I got to take this job, and it's an awful job, and it's, I would rather, you know, I would rather work in sewers and septics. And, like, this is terrible, you know, um, but God's telling me to take it, and it was terrible. It was, it was even worse than I thought it would be. Like, it was, it was bad. It was so discouraging. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm used to succeeding in life. And I'm, and I'm, and, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of shy, which means I don't step out unless I feel pretty confident I can do it. Some people, they're just like, I'll try it. And I'm like, no, that's not me. I don't want to look like an idiot, you know? I, I, like, I'll examine it first, and I'll be like, hmm, okay, can I? And, and then I'll, I'll launch out and try some. And here I am. I, I'm in a job that I'm set up to fail every day. I'm failing every day. I was having nightmares about failing. I don't know if you ever had those dreams where it's like you're, you can't escape your work even in your sleep you're stressing out. That's what's happened to me all the time. I was so round, so darn tight. I was like, see God, I told you this would suck. This is a terrible job. I don't have, and, and I couldn't figure out how it connected with my destiny. It's not like I, these big doors were opening up. I was Tommy's like, you know, personal assistant. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't laying hands on people. I wasn't praying. There was no spiritual anything. It 
it was go get this and go get that and go do that and organize that and where am I, where, where am I going to be next week? And we were 250 events a year. And so I was stressed out and I was in a different hotel room, a different city. It seemed like every day. And then uh, Katrina struck. <clears throat> and so Tommy is located, his ministry is located in, in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana. It's the middle of Louisiana. And we were flying in on the morning that Katrina was hitting New Orleans. And the, 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 um, the, way, the, the patterns of the, the clouds was so weird. It was so interesting. And we landed and we got into... Um, it was the last flight actually coming out of Houston, going into Alexandria. We landed, we go to our homes and I'm watching on the TV as the levees break and suddenly this is, thing becomes much bigger than it had been. And Tommy calls me up and he says, we're gonna, we're gonna focus our energy. I feel like God's calling us to focus our energy on New Orleans. And we were traveling all over the world and now all of a sudden we're focused on helping the pastors in New Orleans. And so my world flipped upside down and we began rescheduling and, and, and all moving things aside in order to help pastors in New Orleans. And one of the things that Tommy did was he invited uh, several groups of pastors from New Orleans who had lost everything to come up and have a round table couple of days with him and his dad um, um, and their spouses. So Tommy and Jeannie and um, Papa, that's what we called his dad, Papa and Mima. Um, and Papa, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you ever heard of T.F. Tenney, that's uh, Tommy's dad. Um, man, he's, he's, he's a general of the faith. I mean, he's an old general of the faith. I mean, the man walked with God. He's now passed uh, a couple of years ago. He's with the Lord, but so wise. I loved any chance I got just to talk to, to Papa. And uh, he is, he is, he's old school UPC Pentecostal preacher. You know what I'm saying? So um, he does like to exaggerate some things occasionally. And so I would call him out on that just, just kind of in, in fun, you know, I'd say, uh, Papa, that's not what the Bible says. I remember one time I called him out because he, he was talking about, he was talking about how God, um, God, God gave everything back to Job. Like, like there was this purpose. God wanted to bless Job. And so God gave him, God gave him a new house. God gave him new kids. God gave him a new wife. And afterward I said, uh, Papa, it's the same ball and chain that he had before. Like the Bible does not say he got a new wife, only the new, only the old wife had more kids. Like he was stuck with her. And so I was, and so he, he, he didn't even look at it. I, I, I had the passage, the verse and scripture and everything. He didn't even look at it. He just looked at me and he said, when are you going? Papa, come on, you can't be changing the, no, 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 no. That's, but that's how, you know, that's how. Pentecostal preachers are. They're like, you got me and I'm not going to admit it, you know. I said, okay, fine. But no, Papa is so wise. I, I, love, I love just talking to him. And so they had 10 pastors and their wives sitting around these tables and they had just lost everything. And Papa is talking to one of the pastors who had a church of about 2,000 people. His church building is underwater. It's toast. It's trash. His own personal home is destroyed. The homes of almost all of his congregants are destroyed, and he literally doesn't know where any of his congregants are. This is around October, November of 2005. He, he can't get a hold of them. He spent, you know, 20-some years building this ministry in this church, and within an afternoon, it's wiped out. He doesn't have any people in his church because they all have left. And many of them would never come back. They moved to Tennessee. They moved to Atlanta. They moved to Houston. Many of them would never come back. And, and, and he knows that. Their houses are decimated. 
Their, their, their jobs are decimated. And so he's sharing all this stuff with Papa. And I'm sitting there, you know, I finally got a few minutes. So, so I'm sta- I hadn't eaten all day. And so I had this biscotti. I don't know if you ever had those biscottis. But anyway, I'm sitting there snacking. It's like in every green room in America. And so I'm snacking on the biscotti. They taste terrible, but they fill you up a little bit. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Like, how do you, what do you say to that? What do you say to somebody who's lost everything? What do you say to somebody who's like, God was leading and God was helping and God was moving and the worship was on point and we finally had the worship leader we were, and everything was great. And then suddenly it's gone. What do you say to that? And I'm sitting there wondering, man, what's Papa going to say? And, and Papa just gently, TF10, he just gently, calmly listens. And then after a few minutes, he says, have you ever heard of the ninth beatitude? And my ears, my ears perked up because, you know, Papa's doing it again. He's making up scriptures again. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. This is a Reader's Digest thing or what's going on. If you heard of the ninth beatitude, because, because the beatitude, by the way, is, is classic. It's from Matthew chapter 5, the first few verses. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount with, with a list of eight different things in which, which heaven considers blessedness, right? He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And, and, and when I was seven, I memorized Matthew chapter 5, okay? So, so I know the eight beatitudes, and I'm like, nine? What's he talking about? And so he said, you know, he said to the pastor, he said, you know about the eight located in Matthew chapter five. He said, there's a ninth one located in Matthew chapter 11. And I said, okay. So I, you know, I get my Bible out and I'm searching. So this is what I want us to read today. I want us to read the ninth beatitude. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11. Start, let's just start at verse four. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John. Now, John is John the Baptist. That's who he's talking about. John the baptizer, Jesus's cousin. All right. Go and tell John the things which you have, uh, which, wow, that was a misprint, (laughs) which you hear and see the blind see the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's referencing, by the way, he's referencing the passage in Isaiah. The passage that launched his ministry, the very first sermon Jesus ever preached, he opened the scroll to the book of Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the eyes to the blind, right? And so he's, he's saying, look, what I said I was going to do, I'm doing it. It's happening. But verse six is the ninth beatitude. He said, oh, and tell him, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I'm sitting there eating, nibbling in my biscotti. And suddenly I'm, I'm no longer listening to a pastor and his wife who've lost everything. Suddenly the words of Jesus, just like a knife, go straight to my heart. And the Lord says to me, go and tell Harry. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And what I realized, I, I, I was going to church, I was raising my hand, hands, I was worshiping, I was, I was praying every day, I never stopped reading my Bible, I, I, was, I was in love with Jesus. But over time, like when God disappoints you once, you say, ah, it's all right, it's nothing. When he disappoints you again, you say, well, there, there must be a reason for every season. When he disappoints you again, you when I can't see it, he's working. When he disappoints you again, Man, I was really counting on that one. 
When he disappoints you again, God, where, where were you? When he disappoints, and, and it's like, I don't know, my time, especially my time with Tommy specifically, there had been so many things that I thought God was going to do for me on my behalf, doors he was going to open, things, he, dreams I had in my heart, and none of it was happening. He, it's like he dropped me off, and I was on my own. I only took the stupid job because he told me. <laughs> I only, I'm only here because you made me be here, and then you make me be here, and then you just hands off, walk away. I felt so unled and unprotected, unguarded. And I, and I never would have confessed to that. I never would have said that until the Holy Spirit just said, Blessed is he, Harry, who's not offended because of me. Blessed is the one who can let me do what I want with them and won't hold it against me. Blessed is he who won't place their expectations on me and hold me to it. And I was like, man. I shared this one time at Promised Land, and there were so many people afterward that came up to me and said, man, when you shared that passage, the Holy Spirit did the same thing for me. I was going to church. I was worshiping. I was, I love you, Lord, and all of that. And it was true. It was honest. It was from my heart. It really was. But I didn't realize that over time, I had slowly, innocuously, like unintentionally, I was never like Shawshank Redemption, you know, shaking my hand up in the, the rain and my fist saying, God, I hate you. It was never that kind of thing. It was just this slow, I'd been disappointed several times. And I had slowly just allowed my heart to kind of be like, well, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I guess I just got to keep pressing on. And that's where a fence is built. A fence is built somewhere between your expectation and your reality. That's where we build our offenses. <laughs> Which is why I know God's offended you because guarantee you he has not performed according to your expectations because if he did you would be God but you're not so you, you don't you don't know the future I don't know the future and so he's always doing things that I say no no I needed this I didn't need that I, I needed this no I was looking for that and 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 one of the first steps to forgiveness and forgiving others and and coming before Jesus and laying our offenses at his feet is actually forgiving him, is actually saying, wait a minute, I've been a little bit off with you. I, allowed, I used to pray more fervently. I used to believe more genuinely, more carelessly, but after several times. See, so the first story is the story of Harry, but the second story is the story of Matthew, here in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus says, go and tell John, he's talking to John's disciples. These are followers of John. These are good friends of John. They just came from a meeting with John. John's in prison. John's been in prison for some time now, and he's actually, scripture tells us, he's going to be beheaded in prison. It's a very dangerous situation. And they've come to ask Jesus a question in the previous verses. They said, this is what John wants to know. Are you the chosen one? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? Which for your average Joe to ask Jesus, are you the one? That's not that big of a deal. But for John to be questioning 
This is John the Baptist. The whole first chapter of the Gospel of John is dedicated to this guy. He is not the light, but he came to illuminate the light, to make a way, to, to a voice crying out in the wilderness, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus even says of John that he is the greatest man ever born to women. And since there haven't been any other men born to men, that means he's the goat, the greatest of all time. This is from Jesus' own words. Man, I mean, at the end of my ministry, if God stands up and, 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 and says, you know what, Harry is just the greatest of all time. I think I have done pretty well. Like, that's it. I don't, need, I, don't, I don't need your accolades. I don't need a nice car. I just need Jesus to say, no one else is better than Harry. Now, that's going all the way back to Abel. The first prophet was Abel. And his blood spoke a word. I mean, Abel, and, and you're, you're talking Moses, who stood before Pharaoh and took out all of the greatest world power at the time, Egypt calling 10 plagues on them, leading the people of God. He stands at the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts for him. And God says, John's greater than Moses. John's greater than Elijah and Elisha. Elisha's dead bones raised somebody back from the dead. I mean, that's how great Elisha was. You know what I'm saying? He's greater than Daniel, who stood in front of four different kings and changed the day that he lived in. He's greater than, uh, you know, Hosea, greater than Joel, Amos, Obadiah, greater than Habakkuk, great, who, who stood under the, 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 the pounding storm of God. And he said, the just shall live by faith. I mean, I mean, all of these wonderful powerful David Samson I mean you go down the list of the list of heroes from the Old Testament Noah right believes God builds an ark for a hundred years and Jesus says John is greater than all of them whoa one his birth was greater his birth was miraculous John's uh, parents were barren for, for several years and now they were too old to have kids and an angel of the Lord appeared to John's dad and said, you're going to have a baby and you're going to name his name John. And John's dad couldn't even believe it. He just kind of said, uh, that's not going to happen. And so the angel said, just to prove to you, you're not going to be able to talk until it actually does happen. And then while John's mom is pregnant with John, John's in his mom's stomach, John hears the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he does a somersault. Like she, she, she vomits, you know, because it's so tough and he's he's getting he's getting filled with the, I mean John is the first one to get born again before he got born no technically I don't have theology to back that up it's just a hunch all right I mean he's like filled with the spirit in the tummy like how does that work what in the world the dude's born and, it, and the Bible says that when he get, when he got to a certain age that he that 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 he went into the wilderness to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Where'd you go, Akins? I mean, I mean this, this dude, for 50, like 15 years, I was homeschooled. This guy, for like 15 years, he's in, he's in the wilderness with the Holy Spirit as a personal tutor. The man didn't move out there because there was better coffee, right? I mean, he wasn't driven by any, he's eating bugs. The Bible tells us he's eating bugs, locusts, and honey. Like the dude is committed, sold out to God. He's the cousin of Jesus, the earthly cousin. Jesus comes walking as, as a man, and, and, and John says something that probably blew everybody's mind. He says, look, that is the Lamb of God. That's God's Lamb. 
People are like, no, God, God doesn't need a lamb. He doesn't need a sacrifice. He's God. We bring sacrifices. We bring lambs. No, no, no. I've been with the Holy Spirit for the past 15 years in the desert, and he showed me that the whole sacrificial system was all pointing to Jesus and that God was going to bring a lamb who was going to die for the sins of the entire world. And that's what John unfolds for people. And, and all his disciples are like, yeah, that's why we're following John, because he's genius, man. He's, he, he knows stuff. Like, we don't even know what he's talking about. And, 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 and John's ministry is thriving. And, and then people start leaving his ministry because he tells them to. He says, stop following me. Go follow Jesus. And some of the, some of the Pharisees kind of are like, oh, I bet he's real sad. He's real jealous. Jesus is stealing all his sheep. And so they, they, they tell John about that. And John says, no, 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 it's okay. The Holy Spirit already told me what's supposed to happen. Jesus is going to increase. I'm going to decrease. Man, it's nice when God lays it out for you like that. Jeez, I wish you'd tell me every once in a while what's going to happen at City Chapel. I'm like, Lord, what's going to happen? But no, John's like, John's chill, man. He's like, God's told him. He's down going down this road. It's great. Turns out, God left out a little detail. <laughs> about the end, about imprisonment, about beheading. And it's so interesting how where you are can affect what you believe. Because he called out Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Messiah. He spoke to that. He baptized Jesus. And he said, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And, 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 and he knew all of this. But yet when he felt abandoned by God. Because Jesus goes off in his ministry. And John goes to a Roman dungeon. And I can see John looking out through those bars. And Jesus, he's getting reports from, from his disciples that Jesus just had a great crusade. Lots of people, you know, came to follow him, believe in him. Man, he raised somebody from the dead. And John said, what about me? Did he say anything about me? No, no, he didn't mention you. Really? I got, I got his ministry started. I'm the one who promoted him and he didn't say anything about me? No, no. He didn't, he didn't write a letter to Caesar. Maybe you should let John go. He's a pretty good guy. I asked for a referral, didn't get it. No, no, no thank you cards. No, man, I really owe my platform to John. None of that. He just, he just goes on with his ministry. And John's sitting there going, hmm. <laughs> I thought he would care more. I thought he would be here for me. And Jesus is out gallivanting. He's, sit, he's, sitting, he's sitting with a widow. No, not, not a widow. He did sit with a widow. But, he, but he's, he's sitting in Cana with this woman who's been married to like, you know, a thousand different husbands. And he's just waiting there at the well for her. And then he chats with her. How come he doesn't go sit with John? Helping everybody else. How come he's not helping me? Spend all this time, all this money. Feeding 5,000 people, but, but the guy who's on your team, who's on your side, who's got your back, apparently greatest prophet ever, the goat, sitting in jail. Might want the goat to come out and help you. <laughs> might, wanna, might, might, might at least want to say thank you, but nothing. And John sits there, and as he sits there with his hurt, it coalesces around a question. And the question is really simply, is Jesus who I believe that he was? Is God who I believed he was? Because in this prison, I'm questioning 
my beliefs. And that's what offense will do. It'll, it'll cause you to question what things that you thought you knew. Things that you thought you knew about people. <laughs> things that you thought you knew about God. And Jesus says, first off, I want you to tell John everything that's happening. And John's like, I know, I've been hearing all the reports. It's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> and then Jesus includes something. That's not part of Isaiah. It's not a part of any of that. He says, blessed is he, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, the, the, the Beatitudes, these are about blessing. These are not about warnings. He's not warning John. He's not saying, John, shape up. John, knock it off. John, would you figure it out? Would you just stop being mad at me? Like, this is one of the things I think that John could have thought as he sat in the prison cell. I must have said something to offend him. I must have made him mad somehow. But no, God's, God's not angry. In fact, it's after this that, that Jesus starts bragging on John. He's the greatest of, of the great. He's the goat. And he's talking about pre-kingdom of God, pre-dying on the cross goat. And then he said, oh, by the way, every, the least in the kingdom will be actually greater than John. Because you'll actually have the Holy Spirit with you, not just for 15 years in a wilderness, but from the moment that you speak his name, he will live with you. Right? And, 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 but but he's, he's, he's singing John's praises. <laughs> he's encouraged by John. Why? Because, because John is living by faith. And so this is what happened for me as I sat there and I realized that I had been offended by God, that he had not lived up to my expectations, that I felt like, I don't know if you ever went to those, those, uh, those um, uh, candy machines, right? And you, you put the 75 cents in, the little thing spins around, and then the, the Snickers doesn't quite fall off the itch. It's the worst. Why? Because I paid for that. This is where offense comes in, somewhere between expectation and reality, to say, wait, I put my quarters in. I paid my dues. I did what I was supposed to do. I was faithful on my side, and I'm not perfect, but I did all that I know, and I did my part, and God's not doing what I thought he was going to do. I saw this Snickers right there, and I thought that was, had my name on it. I saw that job opportunity, that ministry opportunity. I thought that had my name on it, and it was almost there, and then it didn't happen. And this is where offense comes in somewhere between expectation and reality. And all of us are living within that tension. And so as I sat there and God began to speak to me, he never, he never apologized because there was nothing to apologize for. He hadn't done anything wrong. Instead, he just said, Harry, will you trust me? Will you believe? Will you live by faith? And it was, it was as easy. I didn't have to weep and moan and, and cry. I just, I, I, I did. I was sitting there and I, I put my biscotti down. And I just put my face in my hands. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry for doubting you. Sorry for believing that I know what's best. And I just, I just felt it lift. I felt a heaviness just lift off of my shoulders. Yeah. It was instant. It was instantaneous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. If you're watching from home, it's as simple as just simply saying, God, I'm sorry for, for not trusting you. 
Habakkuk did say, the just shall live by faith, the righteous one shall live by faith, which means we do everything. In order to please God, we do everything by faith. And so, Lord, you don't hold it against us. In fact, I think God's proud of the way we've been obedient. That's what I felt like God was saying to me. He said, I'm proud of the way you've been faithful. I've been watching you. I've been, I, I know you haven't felt it, but I've been right there with you. And I'm proud of the, 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 the long-term faithfulness that you've, you've sown into this thing. And I see it all. And I have a plan for it. And I have a purpose for it. So first, first bit of instruction I would say, just as you go before the Lord, first off, don't let your brain uh, shut it off. Like I think sometimes we refuse, or, well, we tell ourselves we're not hurt if we can't make sense of it. So our brain says, no, 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 that's silly. You shouldn't be hurt by that. That's ridiculous. Which is why we don't believe we're offended at God. We don't let ourselves know it. Our pain sits there and our brain tells our pain to shut up. So first off, tell your brain to shut up. <laughs> Don't let your brain uh, invalidate your pain. Because here's the truth. You can, you can acknowledge pain without assigning blame. You can acknowledge that you are disappointed by God without blaming him for doing something wrong. You can just acknowledge, I have this pain. I was disappointed. I'm not saying God's wrong or anything like that. I'm not saying I don't love him, but I have been disappointed. I thought it should have been different and better. I would have done things differently and it wounded me. So you can, you can acknowledge pain without assigning blame. You don't have to go right to blame. You can just say, man, Lord, that hurt. And you don't have to explain yourself, Lord, but I'm just saying, I have been hurt. And then it's as simple as saying, Father, give me the faith to trust you because the just shall live by faith, which means we do everything by faith. We, we, we pray for healing by faith. We don't know if it's going to happen or not. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. In other words, if you see it, it's not faith. And so when I'm, when I'm living by faith, I am... So even the song that we sang today, right? He won't fail. He won't fail. I'm not saying that because I've seen him come through in every situation in my life. I'm saying that by faith. I'm singing that by faith. I'm singing by faith that he won't fail me. Even though sometimes my circumstances suggest that he has failed me. I refuse to walk by sight. I walk by faith. And I believe that he is working all things together for good, for my good. Even if I can't see it, I will believe that. And so, Father, give me the faith. Faith is something that is a gift from God. So give me a greater measure of faith to trust you through this. Through all of these disappointments, give me a greater sense of faith to say, I trust you. The faith is basically obedience and trust without vision without sight. So Father, help me to walk with you. Help me to trust in you, even if it doesn't work. By the way, this is also a key to, to, to getting past offense in, in other people, because just like we walk by faith with God, we also walk by faith with other people. We, we parent by faith, especially when you got teenagers. You parent by faith. You don't parent by sight. 
We, 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 we work within our marriage by faith. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I tried that. It didn't work. No, no, no. That's sight. <laughs> you don't do it because it works. You don't do it because you see evidence and results. No, you do it by faith. I love my wife by faith. I'm there for her by faith. I sacrificially love by faith. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands. I tried that, and he's a jerk. No, no. <laughs> you do it by faith. By faith, I say, it's not because it works. It's not because it, it changes things. Not because I see it, but because by faith, I hope for a greater outcome. And as I discipline my five-year-old, and as I teach my five, as I don't stick my five-year-old in front of a TV and let the TV babysit them, as I invest in them, I'm investing in my five-year-old by faith, believing that when he's 15, that I'll see some of the fruit of that. I'm investing in my 13-year-old, believing that when she's 20, I'll see some of the fruit of that. I'm doing this by faith. I'm teaching by faith. I'm praying by faith. I'm walking with, I'm loving them. I'm correcting them by faith. Leading City Chapel by faith. I'm going to church by faith. I show up on Sunday by faith. I don't know if I'm going to get touched. I don't know if God's going to say anything to me. At some Sundays, I don't feel anything. I'm not going by feelings, I'm going by faith. And so I come to the house of God because I hope for something. Hmm. And I believe that this hope won't disappoint because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. And so Lord, would you increase our faith to trust you when you've disappointed us, to continue to trust you when we feel like you've let us down. And to continue to say that you are never going to let us down. <laughs> that you are faithful. And that our, our, our sight will catch up to it at some point. It may be eternity. Maybe we got to get to heaven first. But we are going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And Lord, lift the burden of offense. Just lift it off of us. In Jesus' name. so that we can come boldly, freely, openly as kids in your presence. Kids don't have a history of hurt. Lord, clean, clean up the history. And let us just come before you and just enjoy you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.